I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Today on the show, I set the team another quiz to test their F1 knowledge. But it's never quite that simple. We review the national anthem, and of course, we dissect the news and events of the Mexico City Grand Prix. the Cut to the Race podcast. It was one of the biggest build-ups to a race. It was dramatic. It was... It was. It seemed like it was going to be an exciting weekend, but it didn't turn out to be an exciting race. However, to discuss this with me, we have James McKenzie. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, yeah, can't complain. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, we have Sam. How are you, Sam? I am all good. I'm all good. Yourself? I'm still okay, thank you. And oh, sorry, I didn't <laughs> and we said exactly what I said. <laughs> oh, you know, moods change quickly, you know. <laughs> and we have Abby, who turned 21 this week, whilst I turned 31. That's depressing. How are you, Abby? Did you have a good birthday? I'm good. I did, thank you. It was really good. Did you have a good birthday? I did, thank you. Thank you very much for asking. And I'm still okay. And how are you? (laughs) Every every now and again when you throw it to me, I'm just going to ask how you are. That's lovely. It's great when people ask. How Um, are you? Now, it's worth noting that we are recording this on Halloween, so my doorbell might go throughout. We may have fireworks. Who knows what's going to happen on this show? But hopefully it's going to be a good one anyway. Let's start with our Mexico City Grand Prix weekend ratings. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, let's start with James. What did you? How would you rate this uh, weekend out of ten? It started all right. I think up to kind of end of Saturday, it was a it was a solid seven. By the end of Sunday, I mean, I'm I'm giving it a three. Oh, oh, that's a brutal, brutal lowering from a race, isn't it, um, Sam? Yeah. What are you giving it out of ten? I mean, I mean, it's along the same lines as James's, but three point five. I feel like it would have been substantially higher being there. It looked amazing, atmosphere wise, 
but the the track action after Saturday was pitiful. Pitiful. Okay. Um, and Abby, I'm going to give it a four out of ten because yeah, like the boys have said, the beginning of the weekend was great. The race could have been a lot better. So I'm going for a four. Yeah, I mean, there was so much excitement running up to it. The, the, the crowd, like you said, Sam, I thought you nailed that quite well. Um, the atmosphere looked incredible. We needed something to actually entertain the crowd, surely. So, so what would you give it, Ollie, then? And how are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks, Sam. <laughs> I, I would give it a two out of ten. I didn't what? actually, I didn't even watch the podium. I was... Um, that's that's the first time I don't think I've watched a podium. I was so bored by the end. I thought, right, I might as well go to sleep now. Um, nothing else is going to happen here. So two out of ten. Thanks for asking, Sam. So let's get into the weekend news, the highlights, practice and qualifying. Abby and Sam, would you like to kick off with the top bits of news that came out over this race weekend? Yeah, so obviously... The major talking point is the cost cap because Red Bull have finally received their punishment. They finally begrudgingly accepted one from the FIA, in Horner's words, although he believes that the $7 million fine and the 10% reduction in car development is draconian and that he thinks other teams owe them owe him and Red Bull an apology for it. I personally think that the punishment could have been harsher because... They're punished for 2023 because it will affect them next season, but they're not punished for 2021 and 2022, which has been affected by them going over the cost cap, obviously. But what do you guys think? Do you think it is draconian or do you think it's quite fair? It's not draconian. That's just Christian Horner using opportunity to use a a fancy word. Um, (laughs) It's harsh. Don't get me wrong. 10% is, is a lot. Uh, the seven million pound fine is by the by. They should have taken that off, taken that off the cost cap um, to actually have some kind of impact. But ten percent is a lot, but it still should have been harsher. It need it needed to be brutal. It needed to really make them, you know, feel the the pain for for that. But that said, I I do genuinely believe that they it wasn't intentional. But on the other side of that. Why why, why them and not others? I can't believe an operation as well run as Red Bull could genuinely mess up their accounting like that. Uh, I'm starting to think, yeah, they did it on purpose, knowing that they then just claim plausible deniability and call the FIA's bluff on the undecided penalties, having locked in a performance advantage that would outweigh any punishment they'd receive. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't buy it. And I, I, think the, I think actually Toto probably summed it up quite well in that it was always going to be that Red Bull felt they were too hard done by and everyone else felt it was too lenient. That's just the nature of, of F1 and punishments. Mm. I, I did I did notice that Christian Horner was still going on about this um, this catering um, overspend. Now, James, you, you addressed this in a previous podcast, but when's he going to stop blaming it on the food? When's that going to happen? Because it, it just doesn't run with me at all. He can, he can put it any way he wants. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe it. it's still persisting. It's, uh, it was, it's so clearly, I mean, it's been debunked. Like it's, you can't just shift numbers and pick which ones have pushed you over. So, yeah, uh, it's just a deflection tactics, isn't it? Which also, for the record, I think the whole Sky embargo has been as well. 
Well, we'll get onto that in a second, but I think really this is just as as politics has gone, the Red Bull PR machine has gone as well. It is it, you know, take no responsibility except nothing. Just stick to your talking points, stick to your lines. And that is what Horner is doing here. It is no accountability, no responsibility. In fact, we're owed an apology. That's it's 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 an obvious strategy, and it's uh, we've seen in the last few years, and it's, it's an effective strategy as well. Um, so that's ultimately what that is there. Um, yeah, it's it's silly because everyone knows that you know it doesn't work like that, but they're not gonna they're not gonna acquiesce their point. So attacks the best form of defense, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, they've got this punishment. But it kind of shows other people that you can breach the cost cap for a year, win two championships, and then you'll get punished, but you'll still have those two championships. So it's nice that the FIA have actually decided on a punishment, which will affect Red Bull, because I think from a viewer's um, viewpoint, like we don't necessarily know how much 10% reduction in car development will actually affect them. But to them, that is a major hit. But I still think it should be more harsh. And and also, as Ferrari have pointed out, Red Bull have already consolidated those gains by overspending, which is again why that seven million pound fine or seven whatever currency it is should come off the cost cap. So yeah, it's and the FIA in this as well. Yeah, they're between a rock and a hard place, as Total Wolf was kind of alluding to, but they've put themselves in that position. This whole negotiating your punishment thing needs to stop. It should be the start of the year. They tell all 10 teams, these are the punishments. If you go over by this much, this is what happens. If you go over by this much, this is what happens. Much clearer than a minor, major differentiator there. It needs to be really crystal clear for the teams. And if they genuinely want to appeal, they should have the right to do that. And it should be investigated if there is genuinely a mistake, no wrongdoing on their part. Okay, so what else was happening in the news over the weekend? As Red Bull were getting a punishment, Mercedes fans and Hamilton fans were getting an an additional reward uh, in certain senses um, because Red Bull decided to boycott Sky Sports for the weekend. The reason for this is on Ted Kravitz's notebook last weekend, he referred to Lewis Hamilton being robbed of the championship last year. He didn't say robbed by Red Bull or Verstappen. He just said robbed, which, James, correct me if I'm wrong, is language that's been used in potentially official documents, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about official documents, but it's it's certainly the definition of the word is not wrong. Yeah. Not um, yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen somewhere that it was basically suggested that, well, the, the FI conclusions were essentially that. So it it wasn't really that kind of... You know, but anyway, the Verstappen family have have not taken kindly to this. Max Verstappen, you know, leading this boycott, which then Red Bull followed suit, which extended to Christian Horner not tuning in from the pit wall. Uh, Max Verstappen said that it's one person in particular, being Kravitz, um, on Sky Sports, who is disrespectful and that he's not tolerating it anymore. Guys, do you think this is overblown do you think the Verstappen camp and Red Bull are being overly sensitive why might they be sensitive about this yeah 
unpick this for me. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of um, comments on our social media saying that Ted Kravitz needs to be fired. I think I think people may be taking this a little too seriously. Um, it's it's been said, yes, you can take it how you want it, but it, it's all, I think, as you've said, Sam, it's intertwined with, with all this cost cap news at the same time. It, it's all, it's all a very, very good PR, uh, PR manipulation, really, of now we're the victims of this. You know, they picked up on one word. I, I don't really see it as that bad. I think we need to move on. Ted maybe should apologize if he's offended anyone, but that's about it. Yeah. Like I said, I just, I, it's deflection tactics for me. Like, pure and simple it's I feel so sorry for Ted like he's getting dogs abuse now on social media if you look at his Instagram it's just abuse from you know the the social media toxic fan bases that we see and like it really wasn't that big a thing like like Sam has kind of implied it's most of the stuff I mean for the for starters he was just the whole thing he was doing was like, oh, wouldn't this have been like a great script? I think it was referencing the whole Brad Pitt F1 movie like, and saying, oh, you know, how good a script would it be that this happened and this could have happened, but it didn't happen. And then the others, like, it seems to be another issue is that he said, oh, it, it's it's down to engineers and F1. And then he pointed at Adrian Newey because he walked past him. How many people have said how huge a role Adrian Newey has had in like the success of Red Bull this year? Everyone in the paddock is accepted. Like I said last week, he did his thesis on ground effect. Like Ted has been absolutely thrown to the wolves here. And I think it's, it's mm. pretty crap from, from Red Bull to, to yeah, basically deflect and put it all on him just to distract from what's going on at the moment. The other thing I find quite strange is that Sky Sports are a huge tool for Red Bull, right? Red Bull want as much airtime from Sky Sports as humanly possible. They want as many features. They want the airtime. This is the whole point of F1, right? To get that brand um, known by the people. If you're now making Sky Sports have to tread more carefully in future and, and potentially be a little bit more reluctant to approach that team or, or talk about them, you're shooting yourself in the foot, surely, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also for me, Red Bull have found the flames of this. In particularly over a period where they have talked about, you know, being careful about mental health and Max Verstappen talking about mental health and that is his his whole argument for the boycott was, you know, it just it just perpetuates that cycle that we have from 2021. And I'm sorry, but that his relate his his championship in 2021 is going to be intrinsically linked forevermore with controversy. He can't separate that. He's just got to live with it. That is the reality of of the situation for him. And yeah, and I've seen people as well kind of talking about how journalists need to be impartial. Yeah, there is a, a time when in place when journalists need to be impartial. But let's let's be frank here. This is a sport, and journalists are off, off also paid to say it how they call it how they see it. So I don't think Kravitz has really done much wrong here, and also. We've all watched Ted's Notebook. It's a very fun, colloquial, ill-planned, intentionally um, show that's not meant with any kind of real seriousness behind it. Yeah, that's a good point, Sam. And also, like, over this season, I have noticed that Ted has been more vocal during his quality notebooks. And I, for one, have actually enjoyed that, seeing some honest opinions from a fellow journalist. And I get 
why Verstappen and Red Bull can like take it to heart and can be upset about it. But 2021 will always be controversial and social media certainly doesn't help that fact. And I think with Red Bull and Verstappen and that talking about mental health and how this has all affected them, we now, they now have to look at it from Ted's point of view that he didn't mean to hurt them or anything by it seriously, but now he is getting loads of hate and that can affect him as well. And we shouldn't all just hate on him because he said something that people have taken the wrong way necessarily. But I do seriously feel sorry for Ted because he seems like a lovely guy. He's definitely a lovely guy. Going back to Sam's uh, impartiality point, I mean, yeah, like you say, it, it has to be impartial to a certain extent. But if you listen to the Dutch coverage, and it's obviously very much in favour of Max, I would say more so, I think Sky try and rein it in for the most part because they're aware that they're the international feed. But yeah, you if you sit there and have to talk about F1 for, what, 12 hours a weekend... You can't just be neutral the entire time. The pundits are hired to give their opinions. Like, look at it in football. They've got Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville there arguing for and against Liverpool and Man United, and no one's having a go at them for being impartial. It's it's their opinion. It doesn't... Yeah, I don't know. It really winds me up. And also, I mean, you can go so many levels deep with this as well. It wasn't that that opinion was prejudiced one way or the other. It was fairly ob- objective as far as opinions come that Lewis Hamilton was robbed. That was it. He didn't say by who, from who. He he could have gone a step further. He could have said Red Bull were heavily lobbying Michael Massey in the last stages of that race, which they were. Again, this is still objective. I I haven't offered an opinion at all in that set section there. So how that has then been extrapolated by people for their own purpose is, yeah, very much unfair on Ted Kravitz. And I'm glad that Sky have clearly stood behind him, thus far at least. Um, And the boycott is over as far as we're aware and normal service will be resumed for Brazil. Be very careful, Sam, or people might be lobbying to get you off this podcast. Um, Okay, so we've covered uh, the cost cap. We've covered uh, Ted Kravitz causing chaos in the Sky Sports uh, coverage this weekend. So that was your news. James, would you like to take us through the highlights of the practice sessions at the Mexico City Grand Prix? So FP1 was a a tale of the drivers getting to grips with a tricky, dusty track. Uh, Verstappen had a spin, but kept it out of the wall and the Ferrari set what would ultimately prove to be a deceptive pace as they secured a 1-2 but with themselves, the Red Bulls and Hamilton all covered by barely a tenth. Again, a number of young drivers took part and propped up the timesheets. The quickest was Liam Lawson in the Alpha Tauri, followed by Williams's Logan Sargent, Nick de Vries and Mercedes, Jack Dewan in the Alpine, experiencing an F1 session for the first time. And finally, Pietro Fittipaldi in the Haas. Uh, and then we had FP2, largely, unpre- un- largely unrepresentative again, uh, due to another Pirelli 2023 tyre test. Uh, Leclerc had a similar spin to Verstappen, but where the Dutchman managed to keep it out of the wall, Leclerc did not. Uh, Russell topped the session, similarly to last week, one of the few drivers who was allowed to use the 2022 tyre. And of the drivers on the tyre test, Hamilton was fastest, narrowly ahead of the Red Bulls, showing that Mercedes had some genuine pace uh, 
Uh, and that was further shown in FP3 as Mercedes secured a 1-2. So did you guys think like me, this may be Mercedes' weekend to take the first win of the season so far. I mean, by this point we're talking, right? It, it looked like Mercedes seriously had some pace and an advantage over Red Bull, right? It, it did. But also, I think for Mercedes and Hamilton fans, have been burnt by that hope one too many times so far this season already. So there's been so many false dawns when it comes to Mercedes' return to, you know, well, race-winning form, not even supremacy or anything like that, just actually competing for a win. I think because Toto Wolf said back in Austin that Mexico is supposedly a good track for them and over practice they did look very strong. They did have the pace and I did want Mercedes to get a win. But for Lewis, I want him to win in Brazil because he loves Brazil. He's now an honorary citizen of the country and I feel like for him to secure his first win, to continue his streak, Brazil would be the best place. But I, I did have high hopes for the race. And sadly, they weren't necessarily met in terms of a race victory. But I was interested that Mercedes decided to run De Vries in FP1 over, for example, Frederick Vesti, who's in F2, who's part of their junior programme, especially since De Vries has just signed with Alpha Tauri. Someone's been reading my Twitter page. That may have cropped <laughs> up, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, you add value to other people's content. You should you should take this so <laughs> so well. Yes, uh, no, I do. I do appreciate it, Abby. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I said, I had the same thought. Um, but whether or not there were, I don't know, whatever reasons why they might not put Fred Vesti in the car, I don't know. I've, I've been asking Fred Vesti all year when he's going to be in <laughs> be in the car, um, and. He has always said that he didn't know. So, yeah, I'm sure next season he will get his chance. Okay, so that was the practice uh, highlights roundup from James. Um, Abby, would you like to give us the lowdown on what took place in a very exciting, I must say, qualifying? Yes, so in Q1, Mercedes proved to look strong again because Hamilton went fastest. It was nice to see his name at the top of the timing sheets. But Russell complained of a lot of traffic. Bottas proved very strong as well. He certainly had pace. And Schumacher, track limits came into play for him, unfortunately. And Perez also suffered a DRS issue. It didn't open, his rear wing didn't open in the third DRS zone. So he came back into the pits, but turns out that there was nothing wrong with it. So going out in Q1, we had Schumacher and Vettel, who were on exactly the same time, followed by Stroll, Albon and Latifi. So it wasn't a very good session for the Aston Martins or the Williams, unsurprisingly. And then in Q2, Magnussen got through and it was the first time Haas had ever had a car get into Q2 in Mexico. But sadly, that didn't last long as he did go out. So Ricardo went out. So did Joe, Sonoda, Gasly and Magnussen. And then in Q3, Hamilton then had a track time deleted and Russell for track limits. And then Russell was hoping to put it on pole. He did apologise to Mercedes on his radio afterwards, saying his lap was terrible. It was Verstappen who put it on pole. But Russell qualified P2 with Hamilton P3. And then Perez behind. And then Sainz, Bottas then split the Ferraris. And then it was Leclerc, Norris, Alonso and Ocon. 
Okay. Do we think that that long straight, um, the way that the, the drivers were towing each other around, do you think that had any impact into qualifying this, this time round? What, what do you think really was the top story, guys, out of that? Well, yeah, the, um, the altitude certainly has an impact. I think Martin Brodel was saying that the air density is 22% less oxygen or something like that. It's, yeah, again, not a scientist. Apologies if I've butchered that to any people listening who, who are scientists. Uh, please do let <laughs> us know. Um, but essentially, that is what allows the Mercedes to be less draggy. And it is a particularly draggy car that they have this season, the, the W13. So that is where this idea that Mexico is an opportunity for them is, is born from. Um, yeah, I mean, that was the, the main talk. But again, Ferrari, that pace from Friday, very much eroded. It came out after the race that they very much went the wrong way setup-wise and didn't realise till quite late. Um, but for me, Valtteri Bottas, I wouldn't say return to form, but you know, sticking it between the Ferraris, fair play. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Is this a second show in a row? I can see James thinking what I'm thinking. He's he's becoming a Bottas fan, isn't he? Yeah. I'm not becoming a Bottas fan. I just, <laughs> I want to be fair to him uh, because it, it plays on my mind that I may have, maybe was overly harsh on him during his Mercedes tenure. Okay. And James, how did you think Verstappen suddenly pulled that out of the bag? I mean, um, because he's driving a Red Bull, is that it? Or do you think that was another outstanding performance from the Dutchman? That helps. Definitely helps to be in a Red Bull this year. Uh, Sorry, don't don't stop talking to me, Christian. Uh, But it was... Yeah, I mean, it was a great lap. I think he he seemed to just pull out that couple of tenths out of nowhere. To some extent, it was it would have been more interesting to maybe see if if George hadn't messed up his final attempt because he you know he'd gone purple in the middle sector and and if Lewis hadn't had that first lap deleted and hadn't had to you know be a little bit cautious and of course he, there was that talk of drivability as well. So I think Max probably would have got pole anyway, but I think it, it would have been a lot closer if if Mercedes had maximised their potential. But pole isn't really pole in Mexico, is it? Yeah. So I think, (laughs) let's face it, we still would have got to the first corner in the same order either way. Yeah, so there was a great stat that I don't have in front of me to do with how many drivers had actually won from pole in the last few years. But obviously, Max Verstappen is one for changing statistics like that. So um, the outcome was he did win from pole, as we know. But... Let's talk about the race, and of course we're going to do our infamous National Anthem review. But before we do, we're going to go into another quiz, a bit like we did last week. We're going to call it the Confusing F1 Quiz. Let's just get into that, because it's quite confusing. So it's that time of the show when we're going to do another little game. Now, we had loads of emails, um, loads of comments, loads of messages that people enjoyed us talking nonsense last week. I mean, Sam, uh, you you really made an embarrassment of yourself, didn't you? Thank you, Ollie. You sound like my father. <laughs> no, no, I mean, someone's got to be the joker in the pack, right? Yeah, I just didn't intend for it to be me necessarily. Okay, all right. Um, this time, I've got a few questions for you, but we're going to do three rounds because there was not so much to talk about in the Mexican Grand Prix, so we've got to find other content to make, you see. So round one, as a team, you've got to answer each question 
by giving the correct answer from the previous question. Does that make sense? So I'm going to ask a question and you need to answer it with the correct answer to the question before. Okay. So the first question, you don't need to give an answer to get us going. Do you all understand? Because you look extremely confused here. I mean, I feel like I'm in that scene in Friends when when Joey's trying to explain that game to Chandler. But yeah, no, I think we'll I think we'll get it as we go. Okay, there's, there's only a few questions, right? So, which Canadian driver will be leaving the F1 paddock at the end of 2022? Okay, so that so hold on to that answer, and now you need to give this answer to this question. Okay. <laughs> Which driver has won 14 races so far in 2022? Yeah. Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> yeah. Nicholas okay. Latifi. I thought it was going to be like, who's the GOAT following uh, no? Okay, all right. So we've got the idea. Which driver has won a race in every season of his F1 career, but has not won a race yet in this season? Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. <laughs> okay, cool. Which driver will make his F1 debut next year for Williams? Lewis Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton. (laughs) Okay. Um, Who was the most successful German in F1 history? Logan Logan Sargent. Sargent. Provisionally. Yeah. Okay. Name the German driver that had 13 podiums but never won a race. Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher. Who was the F1 driver champion in 2016? Right. Nick Heifold. Oh, it was Nick Heifold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, right. Yes. And who is Sam Coop's favourite driver? It's Nico Rosberg. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That is round one. So round two, we're going to do... True or false questions, you have to answer it as a team. You've got four minutes to answer 15 questions. These range in difficulties, but you should be able to get it if you're true formula nerds. I'm glad I'm I'm not on for one answering. (laughs) Okay, tell me when you're ready, guys. Four minutes. Good. Yep. Okay, right. Question one. Toro Rosso got a win in F1 before Red Bull. True. True. I think that's true, yeah. Okay. Question two. Lewis Hamilton has only lost one championship in the hybrid era. Well, <laughs> it's false. If we're, uh, if yeah. we're not getting into... Let's leave it there at false. Let's, let's move on. Ferrari has competed in every single championship. True. True. 39 people have won a Drivers' World Championship. I think it's fewer than that. I think it's 34, 35. Was it always max the 33rd? Anyway, I think it was less than that. Yeah, 39 sounds a bit high to me. Let's, yeah. let's go, I say false. You guys are just going, yeah, James James sounds like he knows who he's talking about. Okay, right, so you're going false. <laughs> well, I see, he's the one who jumped out on the leg. So. <laughs> uh, Michael Schumacher and Jensen Button have started the exact same number of races. 306. You're getting one and over. It's just true or false, James. I think that might be true. You're going true? And Lewis joined them, didn't he? Uh, in USA. Okay, so you're going true. Um, the UK has won both the most driver championships and constructor championships. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, who else could have got constructors? I'm pretty sure drivers is nailed on. Uh, well, if you think about Red Bull, McLaren, Williams, Braun, Tyrrell. Yeah. Just so you know, yeah, we're halfway through the time and we're not oh, halfway okay. through the questions. Okay. <laughs> You're going through? Okay. okay. All right. A driver has started an F1 race before he was 18 years old. True. Pretty. True. Michael Schumacher has the highest percentage of wins per season. Per False. season. Alberto like Ascari. In a, in a season. In Alberto one season. Alberto Ascari yeah, is the old answer, so it's false. Oh, oh Sam, check you out. Um, four people have won their debut F1 race. True or false? Uh, false, I think, because, like, well, Farina technically did in the first ever race, but then I don't think anyone has. Villeneuve nearly did. Lewis nearly did, but... Yeah, pretty sure that's cool. Okay, we've got one minute 20 to go. Five questions. Um, someone has won a race from starting in 22nd. True. John Watson. Uh, Michael Schumacher was on the podium for every single race in 2004. Uh, I think that... False. Was it 2002? I think there was one season... No, I think it was every race he finished in one of those seasons, but I think he had a retirement... Uh, okay, I think it was. I think he did that one season. I'm pretty sure he got every podium every year, every race. But I feel like it might have been 02. Right. So let me ask a question 2002 again. 2002 was. D- did was he on the podium for every race in 2004? Quick. False. Should we just split the difference and go false? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jackie Stewart, Ayrton Senna, Nicky Lauda, Nelson Piquet all have the exact amount of world championships. Three. Yeah, true. I think oh, I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> um, Twenty seconds to go. Yes, yeah, yeah, true. Um, the only Dutch drivers to step on a Formula One podium were both Verstappen's. True. Van Wall won the first constructors' championship in 1958. True. A driver has retired every race. so bad who wants to be a millionaire I've timed out because I asked the question wrong okay the final question a driver has retired every race of a season oh as in has done it every race one driver has done it in every race of a single season ooh I don't know it seems likely back in the 50s when there were only eight races and everything broke down constantly well, so the question is, a driver has retired from every race of a during one season. Yeah. I mean, we're way over the time limit now, but yes, <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> I'm going to say, I, I reckon true, because if you think about it, even as late as like the 80s, you'd have cases where some drivers would finish like four or five races a year. Mm. Okay, you're going true? Zero a year. Let's go true. I just realised, did you say Hakkinen in that list of three-time world champions? No. Okay, then that's good. I couldn't remember who you said. And it, <laughs> I, my signal I cannot up. believe I'm going to announce this, guys. He was robbed guys. in 2000. Nodding. <laughs> but so far, you have got every single question, even in the reverse round, correct. Toro Rosso did get a win before Red Bull. Lewis Hamilton had only lost one championship in the hybrid era, depending on where we're up to, but obviously the season's not finished. Um, Ferrari has competed in every single championship. 39 people did not win the Drivers' World Championship. It was 34. 
Um, Michael Schumacher and Jensen Button have started exactly the same amount of races. The United Kingdom has produced the most world champions and constructors. A driver has obviously started before he was 18. He was called Max Verstappen. Um, Michael Schumacher did not have the highest percentage of wins per season. Uh, you got it right, Sam. Four people have not won their debut race. Three people have, though. Who are the other two? Good question. Yeah. I, have, I haven't got that information to hand. Um, <laughs> Google it for me, Sam. John Watson, James, did win a Grand Prix from starting in last. It was the 1983 US Grand Prix West. Michael Schumacher was on the podium for every race in 2002, not 2004. So you got that yeah. right. Jackie Stewart, Ayrton Senna, Nicky Lauda, Nelson Piquet all have exactly the same amount of world championships. That is correct. Only Max and Jos Verstappen have represented the Netherlands on a podium. So you got that correct. Van Wall won the first Constructors' Championship. And, and Andrea de Cesaris has had 16 retirements in a 16-race season, which was 1987. So you got them all right. They call us Formula Nerds for a reason. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, the three drivers were obviously Farina, Giancarlo Baghetti, who won the 1961 French Grand Prix, and Johnny Parsons. Which oh, I'm not sure the, which race that was the Indianapolis. Oh, right, yeah. 1950, I think. Oh, there you go. So it, it hasn't been done in the modern era. What, Villeneuve probably came quite close? Yeah, so Villeneuve was what? He was leading as well, wasn't he? Australia 96. And to finish the quiz section of the Nerds podcast today, you have two minutes. I'm going to give you two minutes. We're going to go around in a circle. You have two minutes to, to name as many F1 champions as you can. But we're going to do a bit of what we did last week. So you have to swap the first letter of their first name with the first letter of their surname. Your two minutes starts now. And we're going to start with James McKenzie, Sam to follow. Go. Remy Kaikinen. One. Plain Aroost. <laughs> Two. Hewis Lamelton. Three. Licky Nauda. <laughs> Rico Nosberg. Yeah, five. Shaikul Numacker. <laughs> I knew you. You love your Numackers, don't you? Yeah, it does. It does. That's six. Uh, back Drabber. Hicka <laughs> Mackinnon. Eight. Um, Vax Mustappen. Yeah, nine. Pino Narina. Yeah, ten. <laughs> <laughs> that was ten, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Benson Just Justin. <laughs> Say that again. Benson Justin. <laughs> Eleven. Um, Vivastian Seto. Twelve. Hames Junt. <laughs> Mydle Nounsel. Fran, I lost. Yeah, I've done that one. Oh. oh. Um. Juan Manuel Hangio. <laughs> I think. <laughs> we'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hike Morthorn. Yep. Ario Mandretti. <laughs> 17, yep. 
I can't think of any more. Have you done Haim's Dunt? Yeah. I did that. Yeah. yeah, James did. Ten seconds. Move on to James. What's think it? of uh, like, Enzo, Enzo's Kim, granddad. Kim, Kim Jlop. Oh! Femerson Interpaldi. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Dill. Right, that's it. Heyman Dill. We're finishing with Heyman Dill. That's really difficult. That was difficult. And we got to, oh, we, I we believe, left two 19. We on the table. Yeah. <laughs> right, try it at home. Let us know how many you get. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It is that time of the week where we review the national anthem. Of course, it was the F1 Mexico City Grand Prix. Now, can someone please just uh, read what I've written um, into our group chat here? Because this is the people who did the uh, national anthem, and I'm not going to butcher it. James, go on. You've smiled. You've seen it. I vote vote James or Abby because they can actually read. Abby, I was going to say, Abby has Spanish in her locker, so I'm, I'm pointing the finger Gosh. in that direction. Spanish what in her locker? <laughs> to it so. <laughs> um, Abby, can you please uh, inform us who, who sung the, uh, the, the national anthem this week? The Children Choir Municipality of Ithacaclo. I think Ooh. that's a bad pronunciation. <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> okay, so James, what would you rate it out of 10? Why? Well, I was having to watch the the Grand Prix at work, so I, I didn't get to see it live. So I, I had to I had to watch the the highlights, the replay that you've just given a clip of there. It was it was pretty. It was yeah. You know, it's maybe a little cheap using using kids. It's always going to get you uh, a bit of a, a sympathy vote, if you will. Not the, the sign language was <laughs> not not financially <laughs> cheap, James. No. <laughs> No, not saying it was child labour. So let's get okay, that one. <laughs> it was cut, 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 cut. Cut that, cut that, cut that. It was yeah. It was, the sign language was a was a nice touch. It was fine. I mean, the the performance itself was was pretty good. Uh, if you're going to push me for a number, I'd say a six and a half out of ten. What was the half for, rather than a six or a seven? The sign language. <laughs> right. Like, okay. What was the six for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. Okay, uh, Abby, I'm going to go with you next. I'm going to give it a seven, purely because they looked really cute. They did sign language. 
they were all ta- singing in the same time and it took it takes guts to get up in front of all that crowd to sing the Mexican that, national anthem isn't that the aim of singing a song you do it at the same time no no but they were the, all it, they all sounded in tune and they sung really well and right. they the, did it in front of a huge crowd, so... The, the yeah, choir children knew how to choir. <laughs> my, my, my train driver knows how to drive a train. Like, what's your point? You have a train driver? This is incredible news. <laughs> not, not like a chauffeur-driven train. That'd be f- okay, so how, what, were you going to give him out of ten? Well, it depends. Just depends if he turns up to work. <laughs> no. Um, I, I, yeah. Um, I... I'm, I, I didn't like it personally. It reminded me of Welcome to Duloc from Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you're a millennial like me, um, well, you will know well. Uh, I think Ollie's now, now looking it up. I got the job. Oh, sorry. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was watching something that shouldn't, uh, shouldn't have shown before. Uh, it's an advert. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're laughing because I'm right. <laughs> oh, God. And then now I've said it, I feel like it might be overly harsh. But I'm sticking with it. Uh, let's just re- go back to what Sam says. parallels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, Sam, so what was your rating? Sorry. I'm, uh, <laughs> I've completely missed it if you said it. I haven't said, I haven't said it yet. I'm going to give it a three because I think that using children for their obvious character is an obvious ploy. Well, it obviously worked for Abby, didn't it? Because Abby, <laughs> Abby loved it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously they've they've listened to the Formula Nerds Cut to the Race podcast, and they thought, you know what, we're going to have to up our game here because Austin was a nightmare for them. And I'm not suggesting that they did this all within a week, um, but yeah, it just wasn't for me. Yeah, you know, the, all three points are for. The inclusivity of the sign language. Yeah. Based on that, I'm going to give it a five. I thought the, the kids were lovely. There we go. That is the end of the National Anthem review, if you're still listening. Let's get into the race. So it had been an exciting weekend. The atmosphere was absolutely incredible. Now, does, do we, does anyone know how many fans were actually can fit into that 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 racetrack because it looks insane. It really does. Do do, do, do any of you know? I think I saw it mentioned that it was fifty thousand in the stadium section. Uh, in terms of the whole track, I don't know. I, f- I don't know about the whole track, but I feel like the weekend attendance was like pushing four hundred thousand. It's coming. Um, Three seven two. Well, I've got a different number. <laughs> Three nine two. I've got. Three five two. I got 395. Ooh. Definitely pushing 400. I mean, yeah. 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 Either yeah, way, it's about that. right. Yeah. So, I mean, that is an incredible amount of people. And it's just such a shame that the on track action didn't live up to it because, you know, at least at Austin, 
which, by the way, was not the Austin Grand Prix. It was the US Grand Prix. At least there, we had some good on-track action. Silverstone, we had the same. You know, some of the, these big, big, big um, uh, spectator uh, circuits. But this weekend, it was just a bit of a letdown. And did he, did you guys want Perez to win, or was it only me? I honestly didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, was that a bit a bit glib? Uh, okay, Sam, let's let's dig into this. Why didn't you care? Because I felt going into the weekend that either way it was going to be one of the rebels that won it, and either way it would be an exciting prospect for fans generally. Max winning the 14th race of the season or Perez winning his home Grand Prix. So I, therefore, I was fairly apathetic towards the situation. We will get into that stat. I know you've got something interesting to tell us at some point in this podcast. Um, but the, about the, the most interesting thing we have to talk about about this race was the, the tyre strategy, really, wasn't it? Um, and who started on what tyres? Because that ultimately defined the entire race. Um, Abby, can you talk to us about tyres? I will give it a go. Um, so, yeah, we had the softs and the mediums at the race start. And on the mediums, it was both Mercedes, both Alpines, both McLarens, both Alfa Romeos, Gasly, Stroll, Albon and Kevin Magnussen. And everybody else was on the softs. And in the commentary box, I noticed that Paul DeResta questioned why Mercedes put both drivers on the same tyre and on the same strategy and then I liked how Crofty fired back and was like, yeah, but Red Bull have done the exactly same thing. And I was like, that's a good point. Did he say the exactly same thing or did he say the exact? <laughs> the exact same thing. Right. Exact same thing. But yeah, it was interesting because the mediums were obviously going for a one stop or hoping to. The softs, obviously, they didn't have a longer window and the mediums said they'd have to pit earlier. But Red Bull certainly nurse their tyres very well throughout the race. Mm. I mean, James, if I'd asked you to commentate on lap one of this race, would you have enjoyed yourself? Not as much as last week. No. There was no it action, was e- there? I mean, it would have been easier. Well, I don't know. Would it have been easier? There wasn't that much to talk about from after the first 15 seconds. Yeah. It, I, I agree with Paul, to be fair. like Yeah, Crofty made a, a good point that they both did it, but I don't understand why both of them did that and didn't split their strategy, uh, particularly Mercedes, though, because they had more to gain from... The whole point was they were going to go aggressive strategy-wise, and in the end, they ironically went the opposite of that, really. Yeah, I am less bothered about Red Bull doing it because I think it makes sense with for both cars for different reasons. With Max, it was to prevent him being mugged off the line, even though they were a used set of softs. And for... Perez, it was so that he could try and get get in and amongst it because if he could, then he would hugely impact Mercedes' ability to kind of you know use the pincer move on on Verstappen. So I think it made sense for Red Bull. I thought Mercedes played it safe, curiously so, given heading into the race, Peretti had already come out and said, We think we've got this slightly wrong tire-wise. I think they're slightly too conservative. So you could have predicted that there'd maybe be less tyre wear throughout the race. So yeah, it's a, a puzzling strategy call from Mercedes. The first of uh, many throughout the race, frankly. 
Lance Stroll had a great opening lap. He went from 20th to 15th. Um, we saw Bottas lose out on the opening lap. He um, dropped to P8. Sam, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, why me? <laughs> <laughs> you know why. Yeah. Testing your newfound uh, love. I'm gonna I'm gonna sidestep to someone else who lost position on the first lap. Lando Norris went from eighth to tenth, and then after the race, did anyone see his press conference with or his uh, interview with Ted Kravitz? Yeah. Ted, yeah. So Ted, Ted brings up the fact that he went backwards a couple of spots off the line, and Lando gets a bit sassy and essentially says, "You try driving the car, mate." Which <laughs> was a bit catty. I think Ted was just trying to do his job, but yes. So tough uh, weekend for Ted, really has been, yeah. isn't it? It has been. He's, yeah, <laughs> they, are, they are not pulling the punches. Well, Red Bull technically, I guess, are pulling the punches. Um, yeah, but with Bottas, he just kind of went backwards. Generally, it was kind of you know uh, uh, a sign of things to come for him. <laughs> okay, now. Um, all the talking was obviously Lewis keeping up with Max. It was like, it was unbelievable action. Lewis is keeping up with Max Verstappen, who's on softs, um, staying within two seconds most of the way. Looking back on that, guys, was Max just going, yeah, I'm just managing this. I'm just driving it. You know, My engine's on 40%. Um, if he gets a bit closer, I'll speed up. James? I don't think so. I think it was, I think it was genuine. The Mercedes had pace. Uh, they always would have struggled to get past them on, on the straights, just the sheer top, no, the sheer straight line speed of the Red Bull. That's obviously what they said in the build-up on, on Saturday evening. That was always going to be the plan was to do it on strategy. I guess they were just confident that Red Bull were on a two-stop strategy and I guess starting on the softs made that look more likely. But I think... Watching, I felt like it was it was genuine at that point. It was only obviously when we got to the point of the post first pit stops, well, only pit stops for the most part, that it it really started to to drift away as a competition, as a contest. <laughs> yep. Um, so Gasly was picked on again. Um, he was handed a five second penalty for forcing Lance Stroll off the track. Um, I know you guys have been saying that he's been picked on this year. Is this further proof that he might be? Or did he just force him off the track? No, it was the latter. He forced him off the track. It was a deserved penalty. And as they were saying on the punditry, their decision to not give the place back may well have been strategic because he did then pull a gap to Stroll and scamper away from that kind of cluster of cars behind him. So, yeah, I mean, it was a fair penalty, but it does leave him in a very precarious position for the next however many months, in, well into next season, actually. May, I uh, think, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's on 10 penalty points out of a possible 12. And uh, Tomo, uh, Tomo McCluskey, who many of our listeners will be familiar with because we did a podcast with him, uh, but also because he is a, you know, just because of that, Sam. Just because of that. Yeah. Yeah. We, no, we, really, we, we really gave him his big break. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. His career was built by this show. <laughs> no, he like he. I mean, he's my favorite F one F1 YouTuber by a country mile. But he made the point earlier on Twitter: if you were Gasly, would you not be somewhat inclined to pick up a further two points in, say, Brazil, miss the finale, and then start afresh with Alpine in the new year? 
he does seem very done with AlphaTauri as well, doesn't he? In recent races, the brake problems and stuff. He's he sounded like he can't wait to get out of there, and ironically, into the seat that Fernando can't wait to get out of himself. Yeah, surely, Sam, if you did that, though, let, let's just hope, let's pray in the FIA here that, that if you were to do something like that on purpose, <clears throat> you would be penalised for it adequately. How can you prove that he's done it on purpose, though? Because it's a great idea that Sam's just come up with. I didn't come up with it. Tomo came up with it. Oh, Tomo. I'm taking credit here. <laughs> okay, right, okay. Anyway, um, first round of pit stops, really exciting stuff. Um, who wants to go through those for us? Okay. Um, yeah, so Stroll was the first to pit and he changed from mediums onto softs. And then Perez decided to pit on lap 24, but his was a bit of a slow stop because they had an issue with the left rear tyre. And then Verstappen pitted and he, thankfully for Red Bull, came out ahead of both Ferraris. And then it got interesting when Hamilton pitted and went on to the hard tyres, which Russell then did as well. But both Mercedes drivers were complaining about the hard tyres, saying that they didn't think that they were the right choice and that. But Mercedes seemed quite confident in their decision, saying that when they were on the mediums, they saw a bit of drop off at the end. So that was very interesting. And then Vettel was the last one to pit as he came in on lap 40. But Ricardo managed to make... The mediums last 44 laps, which was the longest out of anyone on the mediums, I believe. Very interesting is a, a very complimentary I was gonna say, thing to I say mean, about was, anything it, about this Grand Prix. It was the most one of the most interesting things that happened. Yeah, that it yeah. was. Every, it was a low bar. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's not necessarily saying it's interesting. <laughs> by commercial yeah. standards of interest. Yeah, I mean, you said that Mercedes were confident. I mean, they were they were overconfident that it was going to drop off to, to a bizarre, yeah, to to the point where ignorant. Even what with five laps left, uh, I mean, I I agree it wasn't the time for for George to come in and put softs on because then Red Bull would have been able to bring in Perez and nick the fastest lap off him. He was just fed up though, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, even though with five laps left, they're still saying, oh, you know, we we think they're going to drop off the mediums. It's like, oh, great. Well, Max is 15 seconds up the road unless it falls off a cliff like they used to, you know, five, 10 years ago. Then it was never good. I think by that point, they'd made their bed. But yeah. Mm. Why, didn't I mean, they put, they, why didn't they put um, the softs on? Why didn't they go longer with the hards? Well, they pigeonholed themselves from their start tyre. By going onto the mediums, they then had to go hard or commit to a two-stop. Because if you then go medium, obviously you haven't satisfied the two-tire criteria and there was only an outside chance of rain. So, you know, they would have had to then make softs last for however long. And George tried to make the the mediums last and, and couldn't. So had they also cited on the softs, I think it could have been a different not necessarily outcome, but they could have run Verstappen closer. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so yeah, they kind of had boxed themselves in from that perspective. One thing I wondered was whether they made that decision based on the weather, because I know it's just about the time that they came in and made the stop and the switch to hards was just as the clouds came over. Like, I don't know how much of an effect that would have had. Obviously the track temperature would have gone down a lot and made it harder to switch the the hards on and obviously given the mediums more tyre life. So I don't know if that hindered 
them further than already would have been the case. But yeah, I mean, even if Max had stopped again, he'd have worked on some softs and absolutely sailed past Lewis. Mm. Like it was never going to work as soon as I think it became clear pretty much five to 10 laps within the, the switch to hards. Now, there was, for our eagle-eyed viewers, a speck of liquid on one of the cameras, which was in the um, stadium section, right? So I thought, is that the first raindrop? Or is it a fan who shouted Perez so loudly that a bit of spit has gone onto the camera? Now, I couldn't work out which it was. Guys, could rain have really spiced this up? Because it... I didn't think there was a chance of rain whatsoever throughout this race, other than that mysterious thing on the lens. Well, I mean, I reckon it was probably beer. That's my <laughs> that's my guess, right? It was a bit of a festival atmosphere, so you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to say some some type of alcohol. Um, not that you were really kind of asking, but what well, they said that there was forty percent chance of rain, and I saw that before the race, and then as soon as the race uh, started, I was so all consumed by how dull it was that I forgot about <laughs> the prospect of rain, to be honest with you. Yep. Okay. James, we really hoped for some sort of safety car or retirement. Um, who were the drivers and when did they DNF? Well, there were only two retirements. And yeah, it was once Danny Rick started his charge, uh, where the victim of that was, Yuki Sonoda, who uh, bounced off the track after making contact with Ricardo and yeah, DNF'd on lap 50 of 71. And then Fernando Alonso, yeah, just gradually continued to go wrong for him, much to his chagrin as he came over the radio. Didn't say anything was GP2, but I think it was between the lines. And yeah, the, the car eventually totally gave up on him on lap 63. And we thought, you know, maybe we're going to get uh, an eight-lap shootout it wasn't to be. No, I mean, the only good thing about Alonso retiring was, some, number one, something happened. And number two, the um, he got out of the car, did some angry body movements and, and swinging his arms around. And then he saw the, all the crowd there and he started egging them all on, didn't he? I thought, Mr. Mood Swing here. Crikey. Crikey. <laughs> well, Sound like then, Fernando, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but that... That mirrors his results over the last few races. Over the last five Grand Prix, he has retired from two, finished P7 in the following two, and then retired from P7, I believe, in Mexico. So, you know, he's uh, it's it's been a bit of that over the last few races for him. So I'm not surprised he uh, turned very quickly. <laughs> turned. <laughs> yep, indeed. Um, so... Really, position changes wise, if we look over the Grand Prix, um, Russell started in second, finished in fourth. That's exciting. Uh, Bottas finished in sixth. Um, sorry, Bottas started in sixth, finished in tenth. That's exciting. Um, and you can see where I'm going here. We're really struggling for content on this race, guys. Daniel Ricciardo, yeah. after clarting yes. off Snowder, went on a magical, <laughs> mythical charge a la 2016. And made everyone remember who Danny Ricardo was. And have you guys seen the clip? I don't know who he was about to overtake, but the with finger the, guns, <laughs> the finger gun. Yeah, he comes out. Onto on. the pit, I think it was onto the pit straight. Points his index finger and does that. I, I don't know. What I'm doing an action. 
<laughs> for an Cow- cowboy style. <laughs> cowboy style, right? It's a little bit like my gran used to call me up and be like, oh, look what I got. And I'm like, gran... Phone. <laughs> <laughs> this is before FaceTime. By the way, so, was that the one called Val? No, it was Marion. Who <laughs> oh. uh, was my my dad's mum? Uh, Val is my mum's mum. Right. Okay. This is the content people called Valerie, not not Valtteri. Anyway, <laughs> yes, precisely. Yes. Lives in Spain. I'm not sure where Valtteri lives. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so um, Ricardo made up four places uh, from where he started. Albon made up five places. Not a bad day for him. Um, it all in all. And guys, is there anything else we haven't mentioned in this race review? Well, Max won. And we actually addressed that. I thought I thought we did that <laughs> near near the beginning. Yeah, true. Yeah. He won his 14th race of the season, which was a new record. Although technically, if you're looking at all the stats, it's not. Yeah, so someone called Sam was telling me before the show, he had something very interesting to tell me about how one should measure a driver's greatness when it comes to winning 14 races in one season. So over to you, Sam. So don't get me wrong, 14 races is obviously an incredible achievement. It should be lauded. It's very, very impressive. But I think the more interesting, the more pertinent stat is win percentage over a year. As, as you all know, Alberto Ascari, he won 75% of races in a season in the 50s. I think it was 51. He holds the record. As you all know from the quiz about half an hour ago. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When you, you looked like a genius for a second, and now it turns out you were just on the Wikipedia page before yeah. we came on. No, I wasn't. <laughs> and I didn't plan that question knowing that Sam was going to tell us this either. So anyway. You lot have little faith in me. And I don't blame you after last week, to be fair. Uh, no, I did actually already know this. Uh, I also knew that Schumacher won, 20, won 72%. Uh, 72.22% of races in 2004, to be specific. At the moment, Max is on 70%, which is 14 from 20. He has to win the final two races in order to best Schumacher by about half a percentage point. So I think that is the more valuable stat. And I think it tells a better, more transferable story, especially as we're in an era where we're about to have 23, 24 races next season, China pending, obviously. Um, So yeah, I think that's a better benchmark when all is said and done. I completely agree because yes, 14 race wins in a season is amazing, but this is the longest F1 season. So of course, no other driver's going to have had that record before. So looking at the percentage overall, I think is a much better way to actually look at it and determine who's got the most oh oh, completely it's not to take anything away from max or red bull but it's a better test of dominance yeah i mean i guess like to play devil's advocate it kind of goes both ways in in terms of ascari schumacher is very much comparable ascari yeah yeah, it's 75 percent, but it you know, the longevity of 14 out of 20 at the moment, as it stands, compared to six out of eight is, it's kind of, in, in a different way, it's harder to achieve. Absolutely. No, completely. Um, and which is why I think, generally speaking, it's considered that Schumacher has the modern era record. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
That was the incredible review of the Mexico City Grand Prix. Um, to run you down, Max Verstappen won it. Yeah, James spoiled it. We spoiled it earlier. You already knew it before you listened, even if you didn't watch it. Um, Hamilton came in second. Potentially, people are saying he could have had the win. I'm not sure anyone agrees with that. Guys, do any of you on this podcast think Hamilton legitimately could have won that race yesterday? I'd have been interested to see where he'd have ended up if they'd gone medium soft. Because, you know, Lewis is the tyre whisperer. George seemingly was struggling to make them last. We don't know exactly why that was but I mean Daniel showed how long you could take those mediums and of anyone on the grid you'd have to say Lewis is probably the most able to to drag out a set of tyres so and then he could have been coming at Max potentially on softs at the end for the final 20 laps rather than sliding about on a set of useless hards I don't think it's out of the question I think it, it certainly would have been a lot closer okay Sam do you think he could have won it Yes, in theory, but these things are always easy in theory. You've then got to get past Max Verstappen. So it's it's obviously a very difficult question. It's <laughs> okay. Yeah, getting past the Red Bull would yeah, have been yeah. a it, big it would challenge. Have been a, it would have been a fight. Okay. I mean, I, I believe that, t- closer than that I did believe at times he could have done it. Abby, did you share my belief that this could be Lewis's first win? The start of the race did look promising because Max didn't just go off into the distance with a massive gap like he has done in previous races. I do think the tyre strategy played a massive part in it, though. Like James, I think it would have been interesting if the hards didn't come into play. I think we could still see Lewis get a win this season, potentially in Brazil. I'm hoping that's the case. But. I think that's more hope than than um, fact. He could. He could. Well, of course he could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could. He definitely moved forwards, and I mean, yeah, we we don't know. uh, Brazil again is at altitude. It's got a long, long back straight, uh, but you know, so is Mexico, and that was close. Uh, I think what what, could be interesting. What could be fun in in Brazil is we've seen both masterclasses from Lewis and Max over the years. It's also uh, I haven't checked the weather forecast for it because it's two weeks away, Um, but it's also a circuit where it can throw in all sorts of weather challenges. So that that could be interesting. But guys, on on Perez, what happened to Perez yesterday? Any thoughts? He just didn't really have the pace. He never looked in doubt. Really, I think. George would have had to do something drastic strategy-wise, which he was kind of pushing the team to do. But, yeah, he never... Sorry, he was close to Hamilton, but it was already after the stops and it's a strategy race and it, it never really looked like he was going to close in and make a move. I was surprised he got so close to Lewis and then just kind of hit a wall, seemingly. I thought he'd... You know, he was round about that one second. I think he might have got DRS once, but, yeah, that he just never really got close enough to use the straight line speed advantage. Quick question while we're on Perez. Obviously, Max was asked um, during the weekend, would he allow Perez to win, you know, if the the scenario presented itself? And Max clearly said no. I I sat back and I thought, well, you owe him a couple. You you at least owe him two or three wins now, right? Did either of you think this or did you think, no, no, it is what it is? It is what it is, and that's the mark of a champion. That's the difference between a champion and a very good racing driver like Sergio Perez. You take when you're given opportunity, and you don't give opportunities. It's exactly what you'd expect from Max Verstappen. It's exactly what you got from Sebastian Vettel early in his career. 
I don't think I could have said, said it better myself, Sam. That was, uh, it was beautiful. And um, Ferrari's performance, guys, they were just nowhere this weekend. Any, any final thoughts on Ferrari? It's disappointing to see, actually, compared to the start that they had this season, because now then they're obviously not battling Red Bull anymore, I would say. They're battling Mercedes. They're trying to fight for second in the constructors because there aren't that many points between Ferrari and Mercedes left. And with Mercedes' sudden like positive performance, their improvements, and Ferrari's kind of lackluster performance, I think that that Mercedes are a proper threat to Ferrari. And it is a shame seeing them not perform as well, considering they were in the title fight earlier on. It's amazing how far they've fallen, really. Like you say, uh, and well, like Sam said earlier, obviously they took a wrong a wrong turn on their, their setup this weekend, but they were nowhere. And yeah, 40 points between them and Mercedes now, when we thought it was going to be a battle to the wire between Red Bull and Ferrari. It's crazy, really, how much they've gone off the boil since... Or I think it's clear how much the technical directive affected them, if nothing else, because it's just been, since the summer break, it's just been all Max and Red Bull. Okay, now we could go through every single team on the, and driver on the grid, but we don't have time. So let's do our drivers of the day. I'm going to start this week because I am... Uh, and I always go last. So I am going to give my driver of the day to Lewis Hamilton because it's been so long since I have and I thought he he drove brilliantly yesterday and probably did the best he could have. Great P2 for Lewis. Over to you, James. It's a genuine struggle to to pick a driver. <laughs> I know. That's why I went first. <laughs> I, I, thought about, <laughs> I thought about this earlier. Obviously... Danny Rick's got driver of the day and he provided pretty much the only excitement of the race. It feels harsh to, well, it feels wrong to give a man who punted someone out the Grand Prix a driver of the day as well. I don't know. Ocon. <laughs> I <can> go Ocon. <laughs> and so that's your reasons. <laughs> uh, it was a great drive. It was a drive of the ages and <laughs> he definitely finished eighth. Cool. Uh, uh, actually, no, I'm going to make Sam's life hard. Um, Abby, you go next. <laughs> I am going to say Danny Rick because he did provide entertainment when he was charging past Norris and Alonso and Ocon. And I also don't know when I'll be able to give him driver of the day next, seeing as he's not in F1 racing next year. Um, I thought you were so going to yeah. say next season. No. <laughs> okay, Sam, over to you. Bottas, Bottas, Bottas. He's, he's actually walked off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see, I was going to go Daniel Ricciardo because I'm not as nice as James. Um, and you know what? I actually think, although he deserved the penalty, Yuki Snowda could have maybe been more wise to it. So I don't think it was quite as slam dunk as other people might think. Going to go Max Verstappen. Faultless, flawless, another typical Max Verstappen display. Yeah. Okay. That takes us to the end of our review. Okay, Abby, would you like to give us a driver's championship update? And please stress the parts that are interesting now that the um, the championship is signed, <laughs> sealed and delivered. Okay, so obviously Max is in first. And then Perez is second, only five points ahead of Leclerc. So it is a battle for second. 
Russell is fourth with Hamilton in fifth, who has now overtaken Carlos Sainz, who is now in sixth on 212 points. Lando Norris is 101 points behind Sainz, but quite a way ahead of Ocon in eighth, who's ahead of Alonso in ninth. And then Bottas, Sam's favourite driver now, rounds out the top 10 on 47 points. Hey, Bottas. Valtteri, hit me up. (laughs) Oh, Val. And James, would you like to give us the constructors... All the interesting parts, now it's uh, signed, sealed, delivered as well. Yeah, it's very much signed, sealed, delivered. Red Bull are over 200 points now ahead of Ferrari, which is pretty crazy, on 696. And then, yeah, we've got Ferrari 487, Mercedes 447, as mentioned earlier. I guess you could question, do they actually want to get second though? Because it just means less wind wind tunnel time. Uh, But then it's a a two-by-two battle from there, pretty much. We've got Alpine and McLaren fighting over fourth, with Alpine seven points ahead. Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin fighting for sixth. Uh, Alfa on 53, Aston on 49. And then Haas and Alfa Tauri fighting over eighth on 36 and 35 points, respectively. And then Williams on eight in last. Make sure you come back in two weeks for us reviewing the Brazilian Grand Prix, which hopefully will be more exciting. We will obviously be back on Sunday with something, something special. You'll have to tune in and find out what it is. Um, but before we come back on the Cut to the Race podcast, James, there's another show coming out on Wednesday. What on earth is it? I don't know. What could it be? Maybe the thing that happens every Wednesday. It's that the news from it. the nerds. Yes. Uh, where, yes, we'll be reviewing everything that happens between now and then awesome so make sure you come back uh, for that Abby happy 21st birthday again I hope you are still learning your F1 history even because you haven't been alive for most of it (laughs) yes thank you and yes I am it helps that a few of the nerds are older and have more knowledge than I do so they can help me well if you ever need any lessons you know who to go to Uh, Sam thank you thank you very much for having me Uh, I would like to point out that I'm not including myself in, in that group uh, because I also have not been alive for most of the F1 World Championships. <laughs> have any of them? Is there like a, a 65-year-old somewhere that I had noticed? <laughs> <laughs> These would be older than that, wouldn't they? Um, and James, thank you very much. You are not that old either. <laughs> thank you. And and how are you and how old are you? Yes. Oh, yeah, how are you? I'm Did fine, you thank you. But no, but how, how are you? We will see you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.